the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Sometimes we get caught up with drama or the darkness that surrounds us, and when that happens, we can lose our way. Today's guest, Rabbi Daniel Cohen, believes we all possess the power to reignite our inner light and share it with the world. He joins us today to offer guidance to explain the secret of the light, which is also the title of his new book. Welcome, Rabbi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So, Rabbi, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show because you impart such wisdom and and really Right now, if you think about it, we've all been through some very difficult times, and many people continue to suffer. And when that happens, it's really easy to have our light extinguished. When you refer to the secret of the light, what are you talking about? Um, So I'm referring actually to an ancient mystical teaching that I became connected with a number of years ago, in particular when I was in Jerusalem, with the concept that at the very beginning of creation, God created an infinite light which is a way to find love, meaning, and purpose in life. But the light was so powerful that the vessels in the world cannot contain that light. And God creates humanity, each soul in the world, to reveal the hidden light that was put in this universe at the very beginning of creation. And that means that at any time and any place, no matter where it is, no matter what the circumstance, there's some light for me to reveal in the world around me and to reveal in myself. So I learned that, I try to live by it, and the parable book that I wrote is really a story about a young man who loses faith in himself and in the world, but he rediscovers the secret of the light as a path to restoring his faith in himself and the impact that he can have in the world around him. This light, is it an external light, or is it something that's within us? I would say that it exists within us, but it also exists within every being that breathes in the world around us. It's a light also that enables flowers to grow, trees to blossom. You know, it's everywhere. There is nothing in the world that would be sustained without that light that is hidden that enables everything to have a sense of life in it. But oftentimes we walk through life just looking at the physical, but don't appreciate that there's a spiritual energy that's been implanted in the world for all of us to access. So why do you believe that there's a secret around this light? Because we are programmed with two things, a body and a soul. And the world around us tells us that what gives us real pleasure in life are the things that fill the body. If you eat this, you'll be happy. If you accumulate this, you'll be successful. And we live in a world that naturally is very temporal and very physical. So we kind of lose sight um, to what's really important in life. It's like, for example, a person um, experiences a crisis. Somebody gets sick. Um, somebody is at a funeral. Then we begin to awaken ourselves to the light that's there. So I call it a secret, not because I'm hiding it from anybody, but rather because most of the time we just don't spend the, spend the time being fully present and appreciating the potential for each fleeting moment to become something eternal and impactful. 
you and I have spoken about this in the past, but when you go through something challenging, you, you kind of have this point where you say to yourself, I can go in this direction and go into darkness and stay in the pain, or I can go in a different direction and find the light. And is that the light that you're referring to? Yeah. One of the main principles in life, and I talk about this kind of through the context of a mentor in the book, is that we do have a choice to either lament the darkness or increase the light. And it's not, I would say, disingenuous for somebody to be in a state of pain and to grieve. But at some point, the most productive way of moving forward in life is not to fight the darkness. But if I can light another candle, if I can take somebody's spirit who lives within me and share their light in the world, I will now actually take these moments and transform them from grief into a sense of renewed purpose, something that Viktor Frankl talks a lot about. I know we've spoken about that in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, which is finding a way to realize that we sometimes think we hit walls and that we're stuck, but really God is opening up a door for us and he's pushing us in new directions to help us grow in ways that we never thought were possible. And you just used a, a candle, lighting a candle as an example, but we're talking about finding the light on our own, but we can help another person. We can light another person's candle. And if you're looking for an image, just imagine, you know, person after person after person lighting candles down the row, and that creates the light. A hundred percent. And, you know, you go into a, a dark room, um, which seems overwhelming. All you need to do is literally light one candle. And the truth is you've not only illuminated the room for yourself, but you've now illuminated that room for other people as well. And I think we all find that, you know, if we do something kind for somebody else, and sometimes it's just as simple as saying an encouraging word or connecting with somebody um, in a cab, which I try to do a lot. Um, we open up a whole portal of new light and we feel better about ourselves. They feel better about themselves. And what could have been an anonymous encounter, which we have all the time, becomes one of the most unforgettable moments of our life. And that's what I mean about Secret of the Light, because there's so much potential in the world to create these unforgettable moments and these moments of great kindness. But oftentimes we literally kind of walk through the world sightless to the miracles around us and to our potential to be the ambassadors of that divine light. Rabbi, what is the Light Brigade that you talk about? The Light Brigade is really an effort for people who believe in the power of our ability to be partners in revealing the light in the world. So it's a way that I've designed to help mobilize people to really be more invested in this idea. Besides, of course, reading the book or sharing the book, it's really more about every day um, asking ourselves, you know, how can I leave this world a better place today? How can I ensure that when I leave a conversation, that individual feels better about themselves than they did before? So it's really just a way to kind of have a call to arms almost. Like a brigade goes in and says, hey, this is a world that's filled with, there's a lot of, there's a lot of despair in the world. There's a lot of hopelessness in the world. There's a yeah. lot of, you know, a sense of darkness. So if you're part of the Light Brigade, it means I am committed to really being an ambassador of this. And, you know, one of the key figures in the book is Elijah. And Elijah can be anyone. Elijah is a person who does bring light. And, you know, I have a Facebook page called the Elijah Moment Facebook page and encourage people to share their stories um, so that one candle at a time and one kind gesture at a time, we can slowly transform the world around us. What I've noticed, Rabbi, and, and tell me if this is what you see as well with the people that you counsel and teach. We've become such an isolated society. We used to have so much more community. And I don't know if it's because of social media or just the types of schedules that we're keeping, but we really kind of, it's like everyone is minding their own business. And I think we need to get back into doing some of the things that you're saying, lending a helping hand, lighting someone else's candle. Would you agree with that? Totally. Totally. I mean, we are not meant to be alone. And, you know, as John Dunn said, right, no man is an island. And because of the fact that we can live in our own world, I don't have to go to a store anymore to go shopping. Everything can be delivered to me. Uh, the world of social media is a, a world that enables me maybe to make a, a connection, but nothing of real depth. We confuse counterfeit relationships with real relationships. 
And the secret of the light is there to inspire us to realize that at any time or any place, we really can bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. I'll give you one example, a story, and I mentioned about the cab ride. So I was in uh, Jerusalem a few weeks ago for my daughter's wedding. And on the day of the wedding, I took a cab from one area in Jerusalem, and it was an Arab cab driver that was there. And we all can understand that when you're in a cab, you have this moment when you say, do I really want to engage or I can just stay on my phone and do whatever I want. But I'm a big believer in engaging. So I said hello to the fellow, told him it was my daughter's wedding today. And we had a beautiful conversation about his family and mine. And as we got to my home in Jerusalem, he said to me, I was at this apartment earlier today. I picked up two young girls at around 6.15 in the morning and one was wearing a white dress. And I said to him, that was the bride. That was my daughter. And I realized that here I was sitting with the same cab driver that hours earlier had brought my daughter who went to the Western Wall, the holiest site on earth, to offer a prayer before the day of her wedding. And now hours later, I had the blessing of being with that same cab driver. Had I not said hello to that cab driver, I would have walked out of that cab totally oblivious to the fact that here I was with the same person who brought my daughter on the morning of her wedding to offer prayers to God. But that's what the secret is. Open yourself up. And that cab was now filled with light. And that ride was something that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. And it had ripples in your life. And just imagine the ripples it created in the cab driver's life. And then he went on and shared with another person. And that's how we change the world. You got it. You got it. We're of different faiths. I'm Jewish. He's Arab. But, you know, we're all created in God's image. And there's so much that we have that connects us. Uh, Let's all try to work a little bit harder to reveal uh, those bonds that unite us. And so what you just described, that's really why your book is so relevant in the world today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because, again, it doesn't mean that somebody needs to be like, you know, the highest degree or knowledgeable or, or even a person like, I believe, I don't believe it's irrelevant. It's just like, be kind. You know, the world is built on building a world of kindness, of seeing the face of God in another human being, um, no matter what they're wearing, no matter where they are, no matter how random the encounter might be. God designed that moment to reveal some of the light that he instilled in the world at the very beginning of the universe. Rabbi, would you share a lesson or two that you write about in your book? Sure. Um, one of the main ideas um, in the book is certainly this notion of realizing that walls are not walls, but really they're doors and portals for growth. Um, You know, part of the book is a little bit autobiographical in the sense that the main character, Caleb, experiences the tragic loss of his mother at a young age. And he really begins to feel that he kind of loses faith in himself and in the world around him. And he realizes, though, over time that the greatest way that he can not only pay honor to his mother, but also channel her in his life is to take her values and move forward. To me, that is one of the main messages in the book because we all experience moments of grief, moments of disappointment. But at the end of the day, the most important thing we can do is to try to take the life that God has given us and carry that person forward with us. And then as I do now, you'll feel that person's presence. Mm -hmm. Um, So that transformation from being in a state of lamenting to a state of increasing, to see walls as doors is a main message of the book. Another main message in the book is also um, really to see every encounter um, as being something that was orchestrated by divine design. Because I truly believe that if I pass somebody, I have an obligation just to engage and say hello with them. But I'll give you one other example that, that to me, I just it lives within me. It was years ago. There was a fellow who was murdered in Stamford, Connecticut at his jewelry store a number of years ago, tragically. And the store was closed down for about a month or two. And I was driving by and I saw what looked like the sun um, entering the jewelry store. I never met him in my life. And I literally remember to this day, I said to myself, maybe I should go out and just let him know that we're thinking about him. And I went out and introduced myself. And as it turns out, it led to so much comfort that was given to of his family, I basically asked my entire community to go into the store the week that they were open to what I call flash mob of kindness, where people went in and just wished her words of comfort and bought from her. And till this day, she will never forget 
that kindness that has emerged because of one simple um, hello that occurred. And it continues to flower from there. And to me, anticipating opportunities, not waiting for somebody to ask you to do something, but to look at a room and say, whose life can I impact today is also one of the main um, themes in the book. And I think when you get that idea, like you had the idea, should I go over and say hello? I think when you get that idea to go over and say hello, that's the divine guidance. That's God saying, go over and say hello. But we have free will, so you get to choose. And, you know, and I was even thinking as you were sharing that, when going back to the cab driver, you had said that encounters are orchestrated by the divine. Well, you don't know what that cab driver may have needed, but God did. And so when he gave you the idea to say hello, you were, in essence, being an instrument of God. That's what I believe. I mean, what do you say about that? I say amen to what you just said. That's exactly what I would say. What you just said, no wonder we like talking to each other so much, because (laughs) there's an idea that when you have a stirring in the soul, how many times we have a thought to do something kind? That's God putting something inside of us and saying, act on it. Do it. This is my gift to you. So there's a concept also within Judaism that says that when you have an idea to do something positive, do it right away. Because it may not be there in a minute, that opportunity. So seize it. Um, and that's really, uh, you know, the stirrings in the soul. Imagine if we actually um, activated all those stirrings in the soul. Um, it's amazing how much different our lives would be and those around us as well. And if all of our listeners took that one nugget away from this conversation, what a difference it would be to just pay attention to those thoughts and those feelings, because that's wisdom and guidance being given to you. Yeah, no, 100%. It would be radically different. <laughs> and that's what I say, you know, in the book that, you know, the secret of the light, I do believe this concept and all that goes with it can transform uh, the world around us. Rabbi, is there anything else you think we should know? Wow, that's a loaded question. I mean, it's all. <laughs> yeah, I would say that, you know, in the morning when you wake up in the morning, never forget that not only is it important to thank God for our life, but also to remember that God believes in each and every one of us. There's no human being here that has the same exact divine purpose as anybody else. Your job is not who you are, it's just what you do. And if we truly believe that, I am here for a purpose every hour of every day and that every encounter and opportunity that I have. And if I receive an email from somebody, that's God saying to me, that person needs help. And I'm just so tuned into that higher frequency. Our lives would be infinitely more meaningful. So to me, that belief that we're all here for a unique purpose every single day and every single hour and God's counting on us to reveal some of that light. It's probably one of the most important ideas that I would encourage people to not only know, but to live with every day. And this is a time of year when people are setting intentions for the new year, resolutions. And what a great resolution this would be to set. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, one of the things we've spoken about in the past, I'll just add is, you know, the previous book that I wrote called What Will They Say About You When You're Gone? Um, Creating a Life of Legacy. And I'm very excited in 2023. I'm actually starting something called the Legacy Academy which is an online course based on that book with consultations to help people stay mindful of these lessons of uh, the secret of the light and leading a life of meaning. So if anybody's interested in learning more about that, they can always go to, go to my website, uh, rabbidanielcohen.com. And once again, Rabbi's new book is The Secret of the Light, and the website is rabbidanielcohen.com. Rabbi, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is, is that God's light is everywhere. We need to be mindful to reveal it in every corner of the universe. Um, the light that I can reveal is going to be different than yours. Go out there, spread your light. Um, we all have something beautiful to share. And never forget um, that it's not about lamenting the darkness, but every candle that we put into the world can truly brighten up the world around us. Rabbi, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to the next time you come back on the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity and God bless you, my friend. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant and life coach. Allison is the host of the podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, and author of The Gift of Maybe and A Year Without Men. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joan. Allison, often when a relationship ends, you will hear someone tell you that a, a person is in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. What are your thoughts on that? And, and do you believe those words to be true? You know, it's so interesting that you brought that up today because I recently read a poem about a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And I, when I was reading it, it really rang true in my heart. I think what happens is that we get stuck on endings. We're not very good when things end because I think in our hearts, we all believe that everything in our life is going to last forever. Our relationships are going to last forever. Our jobs are going to last forever. The money in the bank, everything we have is permanent. And so when an end happens, sometimes it's so jarring and the pain rings so loud that we're not able to let go of the past to move forward. And that's why this saying is so interesting, because it talks about the fact that if someone's in your life for a reason, their experiences, there's goodness, there are lessons and then all of a sudden, there's an abrupt ending to a death, or they just leave, or you lose your job. And it kind of makes you see like, oh, that was in my life for a purpose. And when we could see the purpose of something and the meaning of something, we're able to embrace the whole relationship again. Yeah. And again, what happens when we're so, when something ends so shockingly, we're just focused on the pain, and then we forget the good. And I find when you move forward and you forget the good, you leave a piece of you in the past and you're sometimes not able to move forward whole and move forward with joy and move forward with learning and move forward with embracing life. But when you can see the past with the bad and the good and everything and see that perhaps there was something, there was, there was an experience or a reason, it does make you feel better. It does make you feel more whole. And I know for me, you know, my husband left me abruptly um, four years ago, and for a long time, all I could think about was the pain and the hurt. And there's something about this saying and the poem that allows me to go back and say, wait a second, we had two beautiful daughters together. Wait a second, we had some beautiful times together. We had a beautiful life together. And although the end was painful and it was disruptive and, and how we did it was awful, I now am able for some reason to kind of embrace the whole relationship so I, yes, there's, there's bad and there's hurt, but there's also good. And there's something about the good that kind of fills my heart up in a different way and allows me to feel more complete and heal the pain and understand that this was for a reason and there's a life waiting for me. And then the poem also talks about a season because sometimes it's not a 30-year marriage. Sometimes it's a short-term relationship that comes in and it's beautiful and it's wonderful or an experience or a job, and then it goes away just as quickly. And again, 
the pain sometimes takes center stage. But if we could see, oh, this was a beautiful season of my life. There was a lot of good here. We're able to cultivate it differently within us. And then we're able to move forward differently. And then I always laugh because the relationships of a lifetime are usually hard. And so we yearn for per- things to be permanent, yet the relationships we have for a lifetime can be really challenging, but they have lessons too. So I think this idea softens the pain that we have and the disappointment we have and the unexpected events that we have. It allows us to kind of go forward differently and bring everything that's happened to us forward in, in a different way, the lessons, the experiences, the love, the pain, and, and kind of make sense of things in a different way. I agree with you, Allison, because, you know, relationships are, are difficult. And when they do end, it really can be devastating. And when, and when you start to reframe the way you see it, like you're saying that the person was here for a particular reason, maybe to give you your children or to help you grow to another point in your life, it really helps you to let go of that anger that we, we hold on to for such a long time. And that's what keeps us stuck. Absolutely. And, you know, we need to process pain. So it's not like a shortcut that you could forget the pain. But you're right. It, it, if you bring all of it forward, it, it's so interesting. If you bring the good forward, you heal quicker. Because for some reason, when you're just focused on the pain, you can't find the reason. And there's something about bringing the good forward, the love forward, the purpose forward, the lessons forward. You integrate it differently. And you could move past the pain in a different way. And you could learn the lessons in a different way. And yeah, you could open up. I mean, the most important thing I find at this point in my life is how can I be open to what's in front of me in this moment? How could I be open to my dreams? How could I be open to the life that's waiting for me? And this poem is so beautiful. And I I really hope your listeners take the time. You could look it up online and really read it and try to integrate it into their heart. And it is an easier way to move forward when you just don't focus up focus on the pain, and you realize that people come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. So, Allison, if we want to bring the good forward, do you have an exercise or a strategy you can share with us? Well, first, again, I highly recommend reading the poem. But, you know, it's kind of like journaling. Write down, again, we're already in the pain. No one needs to, sh- to show us where the pain is. We are fully aware of it. We feel it in our heart. It's, it's very overwhelming. But start to write down the good things that happen in a relationship that's passed. And again, you could do this with a job, a friendship, anything that's happened in your life. Write down the good. Write down the lessons. Write down good things that happen. Write down experiences you had. Write it all down. And if you want, write the pain down as well. And then look at it on a whole. And you're going to find that there were things that happened that are helping you today. There are things that you learned that are helping you in your new job. There are things that you learned in a relationship that was painful that helped you grow within yourself. It's really interesting. For some reason, our mind says pain, pain, pain. Well, when you start to write the good down, it forces you to look at it. So I just would recommend reading the poem, journaling, And really trying to be honest about your role in the relationship, their role, what happened. And that's an interesting thing, too. Sometimes when you're remembering it, you see things that you did wrong, too. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? And when we take responsibility for our role as well, that also elevates us and helps us move forward. So I think just journaling, reading the poem, and being really honest about what happened and where your life is. And then also write your goals down and your dreams down and see how this relationship has helped you mold that and helped you create new wants and new desires in your life. And again, it doesn't take away the pain, but it does give you a path forward. And it does. it is very healing to remember all the good things in our lives. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, if you'd like to listen to her podcast or get a copy of her books, you can visit alisoncarmen.com. Or as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. Are you contemplating getting some help in an area of your business, but haven't moved on the decision? Indecisive about when to make the move, if to make the move, who to hire, what to pay? There are times when we have to make an investment of money, time, or energy to get the help we need. It was President Barack Obama who said, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. 
Are you waiting for the right time? The time is now to make a move. Indecision is an acquired habit from when we were young. A well-written plan will help us move from indecision to decision. Start with a written goal that is in alignment with your vision. Make sure it's your goal and not an assignment from someone else. Then follow the SMART criterion, specific, measurable, attainable, realistically high, and time-bound. To achieve this goal, write out the action steps required to meet the goal. This is your action plan. This clear action plan reduces excuses, procrastination, and indecision. Take the first step and make it happen today. If you'd like to learn more, contact me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit star1professional.com. AM 97, The Answer. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Does prosperity lead to happiness or is it the other way around? The way we view money can either make us live in fear of never having enough or it can offer us the opportunity to achieve long-term prosperity. Today's guest, Joyce Mortar, helps people achieve financial well-being by focusing on psychological and relational issues around money. Joyce is a psychotherapist, speaker, and founder of Urban Balance. Her new book is The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. Welcome, Joyce. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Joyce, you've asked the question, does prosperity lead to happiness or is it the other way around? And I think that is such an interesting question because I believe many of us have it backwards. What are your thoughts on this? Well, as a licensed psychotherapist, I've been practicing for 25 years And I found that when we do our internal work and we align with our higher, deeper self and we align our gifts with the need in the world, we welcome prosperity. And it doesn't go the other way around. If we're chasing money, money does not bring happiness. But when we're connected with our essence and we're doing the work that we're called to do and meant to do in the world for the greater good, We're happy, we're joyful, and we lead an abundant and prosperous life. And I let off with that question, Joyce, for the very reason that I I do believe most people think that they will be happy when they have money, that money does bring happiness. And I think that that's a great way for us to start this conversation because your work really teaches us that it's the opposite. Correct. Many people come into therapy and they're looking for the perfect job, the perfect relationship, the bigger bank account, the you know, more money. But that doesn't happen until you get the inside right. And so it's focusing on the externals that we just end up chasing our dreams and we're not feeling, you know, content on a deeper level. But when we work on our relationship with ourselves and we look at our self-worth and we embrace our worth, we can manifest a greater life for ourselves. So let's expand upon that a little bit. How does a person's mental health relate to his or her finances? They're very inter- very interconnected. When we are dealing with mental health issues, which we all deal with as part of the human condition, no shame, no stigma, especially during the pandemic, many of us are experiencing stress, anxiety, depression, grief and loss, or trauma, and this can negatively impact our job performance, our ability to be creative in our work and productive, and so that negatively impacts our finances. And the other way around, when we, you know, when we're not taking care of our self-worth, we're not putting ourselves out in the in the world in the way that we would. Something really interesting that I noticed in my practice was as my clients made progress in therapy, they started to earn more money. And I was like, why in the world is this happening? We're not even talking about finances. And I realized it was because we're always working on their self-worth. And as they felt better about themselves, they were putting themselves out in the world with more confidence, more assertiveness. They were expanding their comfort zone and being more courageous in their professions and negotiating financially. I know a lot of people who you talk about self-worth and and self-value, they tie that 
to the amount of money they make. I, I know people that own businesses who are really making a major impact in the world. They're doing wonderful work, but because their sales are not at a certain level, they actually view themselves as failing. Yes, exactly. And we need to understand that our worth is internal. We are not our bank accounts. We are not our financial lives. And we are always innately worthy and deserving. When we connect with our essence, we know that. And we know that our financial situation, whether it's bad or good, is temporary. It can change. And we're not attached to that. We're not attaching our worth to our finances. When we do attach our worth to our finances, we can experience tremendous financial anxiety. We can experience depression. Actually, 16% of suicides are financially driven, and suicide rates are at a 30-year all-time high. So it's, it's very, very concerning. And so when we attach our worth to our finances, we're operating from a place of ego. So in my book and in my program, I talk about how to embrace your true worth and detach from ego so that you can manage your finances in a way that is conscious and you can tolerate, you know, risk tolerance. You can tolerate ebbs and flows without, you know, feeling poorly. And Susie Orman, the financial advisor, noticed the same thing that I did in her work. She said that she noticed that self-worth leads to net worth, but that it does not work the other way around. We all know people with a tremendous amount of money who aren't happy, don't feel good about themselves on a deeper level. It's more of an empty feeling with their finances. And we all have different money scripts. So some people have, you know, money, money worship or money status scripts where they think that money is going to bring them happiness or self-worth when we really want to be money vigilant. We want to be conscious of our financial life and tend to it as part of our self-care. If we stay in that ego place of fear, we have a scarcity mindset that there's never enough and then we're always fearful. But when we can switch it around, we can switch into the place of abundance where there's more than enough and, and then we actually attract that into our life, as you say. Very well said, Joan. I completely agree. And scarcity mindset, is it's really come about even more so with the pandemic. People are fearful and competitive over resources. I mean, think about even the toilet paper or gasoline. Uh, scarcity mindset is fear-based where we're competitive over resources and we focus on lack and what we don't have. While an abundance mindset is really trust that there's more than enough resources for all of us, including money or opportunities, jobs, food, love, whatever it might be. And we work then in a collaborative way with others instead of being competitive. And we, you know, operate in a, a way that involves trust. And just like you said, it welcomes the flow of prosperity. So what about the people who are raised like me, for example, I'm middle aged and my parents were depression era children. And so we were raised with a particular thought process around money and, and perhaps somebody who may be younger, but has parents who didn't have a whole lot. And, you know, they're, they're programmed from a young age with the scarcity mindset. How do we recognize this internal programming and then overcome it? You're exactly right. So each of us have our own psychology of money, the way we think, feel, and behave around money, and that's shaped and molded by our earlier life experiences with our parents or past relationships or past jobs or cultural or religious beliefs. Like you, my father grew up in the Great Depression and had a scarcity mindset, and when I was an adolescent, he was unemployed for many years, and that's financial trauma. And financial traumas can really cause us to operate in a fear-based way, and that impacted my adult life as an entrepreneur and business owner. I noticed that um, in my practice, we all unconsciously recreate what's familiar until we become aware and we choose something better. So I recreated a state of financial anxiety and my business was in a period of cash flow hell. I thought that I was going to have to file business bankruptcy and I had tremendous financial anxiety. And I used the tools from my clinical training to turn the ship around. Those are the mindsets that I share in my book 
12 mindsets that help us shift our psychology of money, embrace our worth, access support, and cultivate mental and financial resilience and prosperity. Joyce, would you share a few of those mindsets with us? Absolutely. The first one we've already discussed, which is abundance, shifting from scarcity to abundance. The second is awareness, which is becoming conscious. We all have financial denial. We have rationalizations, intellectualizations, and we need to become conscious of our financial reality and our mental health reality, which is also impacting our financial health. Other chapters include self-love, really working on your relationship with yourself to embrace your worth. I talk about compassion, how when we have compassion for others and, and for ourselves, welcome prosperity that isn't about materialism or greed or excess, but it's about becoming our best self so that we can shine the light for others and help more. We can provide jobs or internships or be philanthropists. I also talk about you know, accessing support, which I think is one of the most important keys to success. We're all interdependent as human beings, and I let financial shame and fear keep me from seeking the business and financial consultation that would have helped me, that would have prevented those dark days in my business. And so I learned we all need support. We're all human. We're all works in progress. I think, you know, again, we all deal with mental health issues or money issues and help is available and effective. But what about these thought patterns that we have that we're not even aware of, like money is the root of all evil, or if I want so much money, I'm, I'm a greedy person. How do we change those patterns so that we can welcome abundance? You're exactly right that our thoughts precede our emotions and behaviors. This is the thesis of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the most empirically supported forms of therapy. So in my book, I have mock therapy sessions, which are journaling prompts, where I encourage people to think about what does money mean to you? What do you think of when I say the word money? My own therapist asked me that question, and I responded with stress. And she said, well, no wonder you make it go away. So I had to shift that belief using cognitive behavioral therapy. And there, there are exercises in my book that are thought records where we take the negative belief and we shift it. So I shifted mine from believing that money was stressful to viewing money as a resource and one of which I am deserving. And that changed my life. It transformed my life obviously with with a lot of hard work and support from others, but I was able to successfully sell my business four years ago for a multi-million dollar amount after thinking that I would have to file bankruptcy not too long ago. So really, I believe that this program can help people shift their mindset about finances and welcome an abundant life. I was one of those people, Joyce, who always felt that I was greedy if I wanted to earn a lot of money, that it just wasn't the right thing to do. And I remember I did an interview a number of years ago. The guest said to me, I think anyone who doesn't want to earn six, seven, eight figures, he said, I think that's an extremely selfish person. And then I asked why. And he said, because when you have a lot of money, you can do a lot of good in the world. And that got me thinking about it. it it changed the way I thought about money because I started to think, well, the more I have, the more good I can do. So I'm not a bad person, you know, and that was something that worked for me, you know, switching the whole thought by figuring out how to reframe it. Is that something that people can do that would make a big difference in their lives? Absolutely. That was very well said, Joan. And I had the same experience. I, as a woman, I feel like I was socialized to be a ple people pleaser and a good girl and not ask for too much. And I set my own ceilings financially. And I realized that by expanding, you know, my thinking and welcoming more financial success, I was able to help more. Uh, but my accountant, my CPA, when he looked at my books, when I was in that really tough spot with my business, he said, Joyce, you're not running a charity to employ therapists. He said, you deserve to make a profit. And he helped me realize that when my business was profitable and healthy, then it sustained more people. I was able to hire more therapists and provide more jobs and provide sliding fee services or pro bono counseling services. And eventually we were able to give to charities that the therapists were 
aligned with and and wanted to donate to. So it, it, it is a shift in mindset that when we become our best self and we grow and expand and we welcome more in our life, we can be of service to others in a more meaningful and helpful way. If we don't have anything, we have nothing to give. Joyce, how important is it for us to have a budget? I think it's important to have consciousness. So I know for me, I'm a spender, and it's very easy for me to go into financial denial. And so I think it's really important to have routine and regular financial check-ins. A budget is a framework. And just like when we're managing our food and exercise, you know, we want to be conscious. It's about balance. We want to make sure that there's a balance between spending and saving. And we don't want to be overly rigid. You know, you should be allowed to treat yourself and have vacations and spend money, but you also don't want to spend so much that it becomes self-harm. You know, sometimes we think retail therapy, for example, is self-care, but it becomes self-harm if we're overspending and, and causing ourselves to get into debt. So having a budget is a framework of consciousness. And when we visit it regularly, ourselves and with our partners or loved ones who we share a financial reality with, then we can all be on the same page and we can develop a vision for improving our financial health. So I think it is important to operate in a framework of reality. And Joyce, what would you say to someone who's listening to you right now, who agrees with everything you're saying and and wants to get started on this path? What advice do you offer to help someone on this new journey? Well, I definitely would recommend to work the program in my book, which is the Financial Mindset Fix. It's a mental fitness program for an abundant life. It's on Amazon, Audible. It's available in bookstores. And it's a self-help program. It's a step-by-step program with practical tips and exercises. You have to do the work. It's like, you know, exercising with a personal trainer. You don't get the results unless you do the exercises. But I think that's a great place to start. I also recommend doing your own reflective work, whether that's counseling or therapy or coaching or some sort of spiritual program where you're checking in on yourself and you're doing some deeper exploration on your relationship with yourself and your finances. And once again, the book is The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. Joyce, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? My website is JoyceMarter.com, and I'm on all the social media, and I would love to connect with people. Joyce, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much, Joan. Great conversation. Do you doubt your talents or skills? At work, do you feel like you will be exposed as a fraud? Then you may be experiencing the imposter syndrome. Hi, I am Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner. Hypnotherapy can help you understand where the fear of being exposed is living and how it started. Hypnosis can instill confidence, decrease self-doubt, so you start believing in yourself and your abilities. Start with writing some affirmations. I am intelligent. I am experienced in the job and know what I'm doing. I am worthy and deserving of the recognition. I believe in myself. Then visualize yourself doing the work, feeling like the expert and competent. Allow your thoughts to work with you and support you. I am Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner, and I work with people over Zoom. And remember, if you can see it, you can achieve it. Do you ever feel like there's no end to the problems that you face? Do your challenges seem too great to overcome? Do you ask yourself, what's the point? If you answered yes to any of these questions, welcome to the majority. Most people at one time or another feel the same way. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We tend to look at others and think that they have it made. They have it all figured out. What we don't realize is that those who appear to have figured it all out have the same feelings. However, they've made a conscious decision 
to turn their adversity into a positive experience. A wise person once said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We all face adversity. It's what you do with it that matters. I had the opportunity to interview baseball great Jim Abbott. Jim pitched a no-hitter with the New York Yankees, won the gold medal game at the 1988 Olympics, entered the starting rotation of the California Angels without spending one day in their minor league, and finished third in voting for the Cy Young Award. Jim was born with one hand. Jim spent much of his life with his missing hand tucked in his front pocket. Like the rest of us, he felt insecure and self-conscious. But he chose a career with a uniform that didn't have a front pocket. Even when he was standing on the pitcher's mound making history, his insecurities crept in his thoughts. But he never let those insecurities stop him. And now he serves as an inspiration to many children especially, proving that anything in life is possible. His challenge has become a gift. Will you let your challenge become a gift? Will you look for the lessons in your adversity? If you've lost a job, try to figure out what happened. Is there anything you could have done differently? Is it time for a career change? If you're facing an illness, look for the reasons why it may have happened. Can you change your lifestyle or your diet? Can you be an inspiration to someone else? If you have relationship problems, what can you change about the way you interact with others? Is the person an emotional drain in your life? If you're in debt, can you improve on your budgeting skills or become more financially prudent? Adversity is guidance. Sometimes it comes into your life to tell you it's time to change, sometimes to teach you a lesson. Always remember that anything can be overcome with the right attitude. Look to others for strength and inspiration. Rather than getting bogged down with your own problems, pay attention to people who happily survive and even prosper despite all of the odds. As Jim Abbott said, when something is taken away once, it is given back twice. Look for what is given back to you. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.